Connor, one of the things I enjoy about these little interludes that we have every week is that I get to learn new things about you. I just learned something new about you just before we started this recording. You spent some of your childhood in in the state of Michigan. Formative how, part, yes. How old were you for this stretch? I lived there twice growing up. Okay. Went five to ten, and then again in middle school for a little bit, and then tons of family there. My wife's family is all from Michigan. I'm probably there six, seven times a year. Wonderful state. How... <laughs> How did it like you weren't a Michigan fan during any of these times, right? Absolutely Is that fair to not. say? Okay. That's correct. And what is it like to sort of uh be surrounded by them at such a formative age when like I don't know where you were on your Indiana Notre Dame journey at this point, frankly, but Thanks for bringing that part up again. Sorry, really appreciate sorry. that. <laughs> But yeah, what is, like, how did it feel to sort of be in the middle of this and not be a part of it? Well, they're, they're really unique and kind people, you know. Now as a professional, working in the collegiate space, I'm sure the same. All the time you're asking people like, oh, where'd you go to school? And, you know, never once actually have I had to ask a Michigan grab that question. <laughs> it saves me a lot of time. It's efficient. It's, it's a really cool experience because, you know, I don't know the ACT scores of most of my friends, but the ones <laughs> who went to Michigan, I, I know them all. It's crazy. No, I, I really uh, I have a lot of fun with Michigan grads. It's, it's funny when you grow up, they are clearly some of the most passionate fans that exist. And when you grow up in it, I always say this to people all the time to Krista, my wife, who. Mm-hmm. Her dad played football at Michigan. They're a huge Michigan family. When you live in the state, it's like only three schools exist. Yeah. And that is Michigan, Michigan State, and Ohio State. Everything else, like I remember talking to friends and being like, oh, IU's playing this weekend. They'd be like, who's IU? I'm like, it's in your conference. We're a neighboring state. <laughs> and like talking about Antoine Randall, nobody cared. Nobody, nobody cared. Yeah. Um, because they're so steeped in it. It's, uh, you know. It, it's definitely, you know, there's probably a little bit of a complex from me coming from, um, in a football sense, one of the bottom dwellers of the conference to Michigan, who's obviously Michigan most wins of all time, half a national championship since World War II, uh, you know, all those things. Uh, but I, I have so many great friends and, and family members that went there. It, it, it's a it's a cool experience when you go on campus, you go to the big house. Um Lovely people. I had a family member recently with a, some pretty bad health situation that is taken care of in Ann Arbor. I mean, it's a great town. I, I love it all. But it is, you know, there's a lot of fun to be had, uh, you know, at the, the oh, classic tropes. Even even you trying to be nice can't pull it off. I can't this. pull it off. <laughs> I'm trying. So, no, they are lovely people. Yes. So now I'm going to now I'm going to ask a question that makes it impossible for you to be nice. If you you exist in this tension between Indiana and Michigan. Mhm. What was the 2020 game like for you? Valhalla. Uh <laughs> it <laughs> Funny enough. So we always do Thanksgiving with the Michigan family early mm-hmm. because with our jobs we just can't be out of state for Black Friday. Yep. And so we were at uh, Krista's parents' house 
for the Michigan game. And Krista's sister and went to Michigan. Her parent, her dad went to Michigan. And I'm there and I'm like pretending to contain it during this game. <laughs> But like as Penix is dotting another one to tie Fry Fogel, I'm just losing my mind. I have never seen Indy. Indiana had never beaten Michigan in my life. Yes, they they hadn't. It, 1987 was the last yes. time Indiana beat Michigan until 2020. Yes, and they still haven't done it at the big house in my life. They still haven't done it in front of people, which is hilarious. But, you know, uh, my father-in-law texted us the other day. He's like, hey, I have two extra tickets to the Indiana game. Do you want to come up? And I said, no, I'm good. Uh, <laughs> it's a four hour drive. I'm like, no, I don't need to see what's going to happen. <laughs> you had your moment, though. You had your beautiful moment in the sun. Oh, my gosh. They called the election a couple hours later. What a day. It was an insane day. Um, we also dropped Michigan that day for Big News Saturday, too. So mm-hmm. it was just all a lot of home field magic. A lot of a lot on. of a con- lot of mixed emotions. Yes, I will never, Michigan fans will never remember the name Ty Freifogel, but I will always remember the name Ty Freifogel in my mind for just dunking on all defensive backs. But I I, mean, that speaks to Michigan though, right? They're that big of a brand that mattered that much to me to a season that they all write off as like not counting. I actually disagree with you. I think especially the Michigan fans we talked to on this episode, their recall for Michigan games is otherworldly. Like, Mm. I, I... I know why you're saying this. I guarantee you there are Michigan fans who like you saying that they're like, Oh, that damn time. <laughs> like, like it absolutely is part of the Rolodex. It's uh, there've been some Indiana has really scared the crap out of Michigan a couple times, including 2015 Harbaugh's first year. Uh, Tom Crean's brother-in-law, Jim Harbaugh's. That's I like correct. to refer to yes. him. Yes. When Jordan Howard just ran over Michigan the entire time, Michigan threw a touchdown to tie it to send to overtime in the final play regulation. We were on the fence getting ready to jump and rush the field. <laughs> it's just, yeah. I mean, I remember it all because Michigan's such a big deal as a brand. Yeah. It's love it or hate it. They're one of the top three brands in all of they're, college They're sports, right? one of the protagonists of history, which is yes. exactly what they would like to be. The protag- Oh, yeah, the protagonists of history. Uh <laughs> We, I would always, my, my bit, it's so funny when you're here in Indiana and you like talk about Michigan or whatever, you're like, yeah, Tommy Amaker didn't have them rolling super well in the early 2010s, but Jawan's doing a decent job now, right? Like <laughs> it's funny because <laughs> just every fan base, when you deal with them as this podcast gets to, they reorient themselves or what they're good at as the yes. center of reality. And so I'd be talking in like 2002, like, man, do you see AJ Moye stuffing Carlos Boozer in the Sweet 16? <laughs> and and they're all like, I don't know, dude. Lloyd is doing a decent job right now, but it's not what it was. <laughs> sure. You, you've always been this way, and I appreciate that about you, Yeah, Connor. absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what do we got cooking at Homefield HQ for this for upcoming weeks or week or this week? Yeah, we've got some game of the week stuff going on. So all throughout September, we have been dropping specific collections to highlight, you know, what's going on in college football. And we try to spread it out over not just the classic, you know, power five schools like this past week for our game of the week. We ended up having um, some fun. Well, we had backyard brawl, of course, power five. That's a game of interest. But we also had Southern Miss and Tulane. Mm-hmm. We had 
uh, Troy and JMU in there doing the same thing this upcoming week on Friday. We've got FSU Clemson, obviously big brands there. Not exactly a G5 angle to it. You know, App is going to Wyoming, which is going to be fascinating wow. in terms of mountain teams. So yeah. we picked it just because we liked the sure. different clash. King of the not... Mountain. That's what I'm calling that game. King of the Mountain. Yeah. Do you know App State actually in two th- the mid 2000s? They had a really interesting away game they played. Uh... <laughs> you should know that didn't come up that much on this episode. So. No. Yeah. Oh, that's a formative yeah. memory of my childhood. Uh, <laughs> UCLA and Utah. I was really popular at school. UCLA and Utah. We've got. <laughs> we've got. I was just as mean to the other school in the state too. Don't worry, and nobody cared yeah. about me. I'd be like mean about it, and everybody'd be like, "Okay, very cool." <laughs> um, <laughs> we have UCLA and Utah's game of the week, and. I forgot to mention, even before games of the week on Thursday, mm-hmm. we are dropping Idaho and Idaho State, and those collections Ooh. are some heat. Nice. Uh, very excited for those two to come out. So a lot going on per usual, and uh, excited about what's coming up. Uh, to tip our hand about the other thing we're doing with Home Field, the Buried Treasure newsletter, I think the day this episode comes out, we have a newsletter coming out the next day. That's strongly features Idaho. It, it features two things strongly, Idaho and arson. And if that's not a reason to sign up for the Buried Treasure Newsletter, I don't know what is. I have read the Buried Treasure Newsletter, uh, the draft at least, mm-hmm. and it is all it's hyped up to be. So very excited about the general public being able to read that. Uh, but before we get to, before you get to learn about uh, firebugs of the 1970s in the Palouse, we're going to talk to Michigan fans. We brought uh, three very knowledgeable, very thoughtful Michigan fans on for this episode. I do want to give everybody a quick heads up. On this episode, we do talk about the sexual abuse investigation that centered on former Michigan doctor Robert Anderson and Bo Beckler's role in the university's failure to police or prevent or uh, respond to uh, that sexual abuse. Um, we don't get into any particularly graphic details, but we do want people to know that that's a thing that we're discussing. So if that's not something you're comfortable with, that's, you know, if you're with your kids and you're not ready to have them hear that conversation, just a heads up. That's part of what we're doing on this episode, but it's time for me to let our three guests introduce themselves. I am a Sandbender. I have lived in the Ann Arbor area since I was five. My dad graduated from Michigan. I graduated from Michigan in 2010. And I either blogged or wrote or covered or podcasted about Michigan athletics for uh, close to 15 years uh, uh, until very recently. And my last post was at meetatmidfield.com, and I was a founding member there. And I'll give those guys a shout out. I'm Jane Koston. I graduated from the University of Michigan in 2009. I'm a writer for the New York Times and a bunch of other places. My name is Ben Mathis Lilly. Uh, my day job is I'm a, a writer for Slate.com. Uh, I grew up in Michigan. I did not go to Michigan, uh, so I have kind of uh, developed a, a weird and, in some people's minds, uh, unjustifiable fixation with it nonetheless. I'm also the author of The Hot Seat, 
uh, which came out in 2022 and is a book about not just Michigan, but college football in general and why people are so attached, why people like me are so attached to it. And, and I presume why people like the listeners and the host of this podcast are attached to it as well. How do you define the term Michigan man? I guess to me, it is the the stereotype of the like um, Gen X slash boomer Michigan fan who goes on the Bo Schembechler grave walk and uh, wants Michigan to run the football on 95% of their <laughs> offensive snaps and uh, is absolutely furious that the quarterback is doing things outside of the pocket that isn't running the option um, and has no awareness that there is a basketball program or anything that happens outside the lines of the field. Um, and also they have an unbelievable in, uh, superiority complex sure. uh, that is uh, – not at all in line with, uh, I would say, the realities of uh, modern college football or even past college football or really anything uh, that Michigan has done. Uh, but I am sure we will dig into that a little bit more. The Michigan man, in the sense that it's used uh, most often, is kind of a has become this kind of meta concept, derisive meta concept for making fun of a Michigan person who's a little too of themselves and a little too convinced of Michigan's superiority, moral and academic superiority. Uh, that said, I think some of those people do exist. And and I would even defend that I would even defend the concept a little bit, you know. Okay, go ahead. <laughs> uh, I so I, I'll you know, I, I, I wrote this book um, and, and it involved talking to a lot of people at Michigan. And and I have to say, as a cynical uh, East Coast uh, journalist and skeptic, uh, I actually came out of it like a little more with a little more respect for like the ideals of Michiganhood than I had going in. You know, I was a football fan, and you know, I loved to go in Ann Arbor, but like I, I, I was a little cynical and skeptical cynical about about the whole Michigan thing, the self regard that 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 Michigan uh, fans and 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 coaches can show and administrators can show. But I had to say, I was talk. I talked to a lot of players, some coaches, and and actually, like you know, I, I, it's, a lot of these guys are very proud of like getting a good education and making their family proud and like trying to do things the right way. And and I think it's good that you know, I think it's 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 great for them. Uh, but that said, obviously, it has its uh, more um, off-putting manifestations as well. It is not a person who went to Michigan. Okay. It is not a person who went to Michigan and played for Michigan. Okay. It is a specific type of person. Um, gender actually doesn't matter that much. Mm -hmm. Who believes that there is a specific type of way to be a Michigan person. Okay. It is a... The closest I could say is that there are lots of ways in which people are not Michigan men. <laughs> And it really is that um, Supreme Court, Court justice saying about you know it when you see it. Okay. Um, I think that there is an ideal of what this should mean, that it means that you are a person who plays or coaches or does things with integrity. You do things the right way. And you do things not just the right way, but in a modest and subtle way. 
um, which got, it gets to be understandably problematic in a whole bunch of ways. Um, but it is very much a, a, a means by which you are a part of a lineage that goes back a really long way. You respect that lineage. You reference it a lot. You reference it maybe more than anyone needs to hear about it. And you believe that there is a way in which being a Michigan man or a Michigan woman is a different way of being than being anything else. And that is not real, but the belief in it is very real. Let's picture a Venn diagram. Ohio State fan is the left circle. Michigan fan is the right circle. I'm going to assume that these circles overlap, although you can tell me if that's wrong. What's in the middle section? We hate Michigan State. <laughs> okay. Absolutely despise Michigan State. That is something that I think that we can all agree on. Mm -hmm. um, I think I have come in general to the viewpoint that we actually have a lot of things in common. Um, there is a general difference in how people who went to the school perceive the school versus people who are fans of the team who didn't go there. Yeah. Um, there is a general sense of things are supposed to be going. There, there's like, there's an era of when things are good and what things are, what, what good means. There are some Ohio State fans who are desperate for Ohio State just lose one clunker. Like one game they shouldn't lose because then that could explain how they have to get rid of Ryan Day. Because otherwise you can't just be like, he's only, you know, you can't be like, yeah, we got to the playoff, but he lost. Like that sounds ridiculous. And the actual reason is if you can't lose to Michigan. I think that for Ohio State fans, there is, again, like there's a way things are supposed to be. There's a way that Ohio State is supposed to play. And there are, you, know, you have a storied lineage, you have a history, you have a belief in what this is supposed to be. And if it's not quite, if what is happening now isn't matching up to that, you are just... It's unacceptable. It's, it's unacceptable. Yeah. More than Michigan fans would care to admit. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I mean... I, I, I will start off with something nice and say a tremendous amount of passion about their football program. Sure. Um, and then also say that uh, then that tilts into everything that uh, comes with that. Um, and yeah, I, I mean, I think it's almost easier to start with like the biggest differences. Okay. And to me, it's that Ohio State fans have entirely come to terms with what college football is in 2023. Right. And Michigan fans have bought hook, line, and sinker into the NCAA line of how college athletics should be. Has that changed with the recent Jim Harbaugh hamburgers like i feel like i've talked about this on so many other shows i'm not going to spell it out again here but like <laughs> has it feels like not just the ncaa's treatment of that issue but michigan's reaction to it suggests that like maybe that is changing i i, I think there's a little bit of a change and actually i would say this started with um 
Rich Rodriguez and Michigan getting uh, dinged for stretching too much in mm-hmm. practice because mm-hmm. of an because of an investigation uh, run by uh, one of the local papers, uh, uh, which was not uh, looked upon kindly at the time. Um, and I think with this one, it almost reinforces them buying into the NCAA thing because. It had. It was like this. This was Jim Harbaugh doing a good, and this was so. Um, and this do, didn't have any anything to do with getting a, an advantage on the field. So you can still um, pretend that Michigan has never paid a recruit, and that's like this was for a. This is like this was so like not cheating by cheating standards that I think Michigan will go. If that's the best you've got, and this was how they reacted to the stretching thing, then we are squeaky clean. That proves how clean we are Yeah, because they, you can only get us on speeding with our pregnant wife. Who's in labor. Absolutely. That's, <laughs> right? that's perfect. Um, so yes, this, this was Michigan getting, uh, getting a ticket for jaywalking and going that, you know, that's, that's what you've got on me, regardless of how many bodies are in the closet. <laughs> so I actually, like, uh, about a decade ago, maybe, I, I worked at BuzzFeed for a while, and I wrote, a, I wrote like, my most um, uh, objected-to story that I've ever published. <laughs> and any, I, I write about politics, like, I've written about politics for, the, like, the last eight years, and, like, nothing has ever offended more people than, than when I wrote that, like, Michigan and Ohio State fans are basically the same. We, we, <laughs> Uh, <laughs> which uh, I I stand by like so I think the part of the context is like I I, I married a woman from Ohio um, and I've got to say she's fine you know and her family they're fine too uh, and so like maybe that opened my eyes a little bit um, I they're not Ohio State fans per se I guess so I, it's not I I can't I can't um, claim that particular experience but yes it's uh you know um, Midwestern states. Um, pretty pretty good universities like i know the michigan fans would say like hey we were like 20 points higher on like the u.s news ranking but like that's that's like that's a very small difference you know uh big research institutions uh pretty fun college towns um an attachment to this old style of football that like requires having a fullback Mm -hmm. like i actually think the like the venn diagram is pretty big um (laughs) And and if anything, like I, you know, the 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 distinction Michigan fans often draw is that like the famous line when one of the Michigan announcers is like, "Welcome to Ohio Stadium, where we're like ten thousand Ohio State students and seventy thousand truck drivers," and it's like you know, we all need truck drivers. Like they sure. can go to a, they can go to a football game. So I. I I'd actually say that Venn diagram is is a lot is a lot narrower or wider depending on what which part of it you're talking about than than okay. most people would like to admit. Who is the Ohio State figure that Michigan fans have the most contempt for, and why? It's Urban Meyer, um, and I think a big part of that is obviously because he was he was so successful mm-hmm. against um, Jim Harbaugh and 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 to Brady Hoke as well. Uh, I think that like you know. At this point in the past, Woody Hayes is kind of perceived as essentially like kind of an, a, a grandfather figure to to all of football, um, you know. And even someone like Tressel, like Jim Tressel, like the the animosity has faded a little bit. Like Urban was like 
he was just a little snottier than those guys. Um, and he was just a little more Weasley than, mm-hmm. than they were. And I think that Michigan fans, like, I, I, if they have, I'm, you know, being obviously kind of wildly, spe- I feel like they would feel like, all right, if Jim Trestle beats you with a fullback and Woody Hayes beats you with the fullback, like, that's fair. Like, that's how you're, spe- but that, like, they have this idea that Urban was like cheating a little, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, whatever he was doing with recruiting, like, it, was, it wasn't right, you, you know? Uh, and I, well, I mean, I, even small things like Urban Meyer was like, oh, well, we're not just going to stay within our recruiting territory. We're, we're going to go into Michigan and recruit guys if we want to. And that, right. that was like the whole Big Ten hated that that happened. Yeah, yeah. I feel like there's this idea that, that he was like he wasn't playing fair and square, you know, mm-hmm. um, and and that would probably put him put him up there. Uh, yeah, I think that I, I think honestly, I think like. Michigan fans would be honest, probably liked the liked a lot of his players. Like I think we were just like we were jealous of a lot of the stuff he did um, and a lot of the players he had. Uh, but I would I would say that like they they thought he was just kind of sneaky. It's probably Urban Meyer. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say in general, like I was thinking about this. Like there are like I have a lot of respect. I I've tr- one of the things I have attempted to do as I become an adult. Like now I'm I'm 36. So now we're getting to the point where I'm like twice as old as some of the players. So hating players is bad. They are doing their jobs. They are in general doing their jobs. They're doing what they're supposed to do. They're in college. It's fine. Um, There are many Ohio State players that I respect, but I never want to see again. Like if I, anytime Jackson Smith and Jigba does anything, I'm like, just don't do it near me. Like I, but he's gone now. He can't hurt you anymore. No, no. I mean, it's the same thing. Like Notre Dame, like Golden Tate or something like Mm -hmm. that. Like Golden Tate, I think is like now retired from the NFL. Never want to see him again. Yeah, I'm good. (laughs) I'm 100% good. I'm not a bit like, like even current, like Marvin Harrison Jr. I respect him and um, I respect everything about him. And um, that is, I, 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 I live in fear of him and their wide receivers. I mean, like, there was that moment in 2021 where I genuinely, like, I know that um, in Jigba, he, I don't think he, he didn't play against Michigan, but um, you know, he played, I think, in the first game, not in the second one. But there was a catch he had against uh, Oregon in which he genuinely, like, stopped. I, the only way I can describe it is that he jumped up and he somehow moved backwards in the air while both <laughs> cornerbacks moved forwards and he caught the ball. And I remember being like, no, I absolutely don't want any part of this. But um, I think for as Urban Meyer, which is why I think that, that um, Urban Meyer to me personally signifies what the very worst of this, this world can be, where it is so much about... I mean, yes, obviously, winning matters. I get that. Totally understand that. But the ways in which he, whether at, um, not necessarily at Utah, but whether at Florida or Ohio State, whether the ways in which it seemed as if he was operating a franchise rather than working within the context of a university, and then, I mean, which is why it was kind of funny when he got hired by an actual NFL franchise and then, like, it was awful <laughs> because it turns out that you cannot, in general, treat 32-year-old men in the same way that you treat 19-year-old boys, which I think we should examine more about the fact that, like, it's interesting to me that you can't, like, that college coaches go to the NFL and are like, oh, I can't just, like, 
try to kick you or scream at you or just control every aspect of your life because you're an adult with two kids. And, with, like, and with money. You're an adult with money yes, as well. You're an adult with money and an agent. And um, I, if there's anything that I would like to see more in college football, I, would, I, w I really like it when I get the sense that players and coaches respect each other and are trying to do the best by one another. And I don't think I ever have really seen that with Urban Meyer. I, I, I think it's got to be Urban Meyer. Okay. Uh, both because Michigan never beat him, uh, which is obnoxious as hell, and uh, he's a total scumbag. So <laughs> uh, I think Michigan fans would have felt very righteous in beating him. And uh, I mean, as a Michigan fan myself, that would have felt awesome. And they came, <laughs> they came very, very close a yes. couple of times and yes. did not quite. I, I was in the press box uh, for the JT Barrett game um, and uh, was having difficulty with the whole don't uh, show emotions in the press sure. box thing. Somewhere Matt Brown is screaming the spot is good right yeah, now. Yeah, so. yeah. And, uh, yeah. <laughs> Let that go. Because <laughs> um, I like Matt. Matt's a good dude. <laughs> um, yeah, so I, I think Urban Meyer is an easy, is an easy number one. Also because... Um, Ohio State, especially in like the their, I think there was their 2015 championship run when when um, Cardell Jones took over. Yeah, the the 14 season extending yeah. into 2015. That, yeah, yeah, that was it. And, yeah. and like, they had some really likable teams mm -hmm. under Urban Meyer. If you just focused on the players, um, and I was kind of you know, I was rooting against them, but it was a little begrudgingly at that point. And and I will say that um, that experience has become rather instructive in recent years for how to mm -hmm. approach uh, my own fandom. Mm -hmm. uh, there's something about, uh, as I think Stuffing the Passer says, rooting for, um, we root for the lads and only the lads. Um, <laughs> and uh, I have really taken that to heart this year. Michigan, as much as any program, and more than a lot of them, likes to wrap itself in two things, history and a sense of morality, that sort of superiority complex. And one of the biggest recent challenges to both of those elements is that a number of former players have said that they reported sexual assault by former university doctor Robert Anderson to Bo Schembechler, who A, died 16 years ago, and B, is in many ways sort of the cultural foundation of what Michigan is today internally into the world. How do Michigan fans feel about Bo's legacy and how much internal division is there on this topic right now? I am glad you mentioned internal division because that was where I was going to start. <laughs> it absolutely comes down to which Michigan fan you are talking to. Um, there are people who... Uh, I'll, I'll preface this by saying... Uh, I am a survivor of sexual assault myself, so I'm uh, pretty passionate about this. Um, I also, uh, when I was working at MGO blog, uh, read through the entire Wilmer Hale, Wilmer, Hale, Wilmer Hale report on this. The law firm that Michigan has to keep hiring because they keep sure. doing really <laughs> terrible shit. Um, that one. Uh, it was a, a, a brutal thing to read through. Um, and... I don't think a lot of Michigan fans have necessarily taken the time to um, 
familiarize themselves with all the details of this. I think they'd rather maintain the uh, the myth. Um, and there is also the issue that uh, the athletic director and the head football coach both played for Bo Schembechler and still speak very highly of him um, and have uh, minimized his role, uh, his well-documented role in covering up uh, Robert Anderson's uh, crimes. And um, I think that has really... Michigan has also had a, a number of other uh, sexual misconduct stand, scandals throughout the university uh, that they have not handled well. That includes the president of the university recently having to resign. Um, and a provost... There were harassment issues uh, with the hockey coach, if I remember correctly. Yes. Um, there are... Yeah. The, um, a number of... Let's just say, this is part of a pattern. Um, sure. And I, and I think... I would say, personally, ha having Bo Schembechler's name on uh, the football facility and having a statue of him out in front is in affront to um, a lot of people. And there are a lot of people who uh, who are Michigan fans who do not see it that way and think that it wasn't necessarily his responsibility to come forward or that somehow he couldn't have known despite all the uh evidence to the contrary i think there's just a lot of straight up denial or a lot of just uh you know it's it's a difficult topic and so i think a lot of people would prefer not to engage and just continue um you know especially since michigan football is so tied to history and tradition and routine um and that that's a kind of a comforting thing for anybody who you know, follows a, a, a team like this. Um, and Michigan really doubles down on it. Um, that it's, it's a, I know it's a lot easier to just keep operating like normal, but um, Michigan has unfortunately not seemed to have, uh, have had the reckoning that say uh, Penn state fans really went through um, where they actually, um, as an institution confronted what had happened mm -hmm. and Michigan hasn't done that yet. Um, and I think it starts with the institution and uh, that really has bled into the fan base. The, the football facility is called Schembechler Hall uh, and there's a statue of him out, outside of it. Uh, similar to, you know, the, the statue of Joe Paterno that was out, that was outside um, uh, Penn state stadium. Uh, I have to say, I guess I have been a little surprised by the level of division there was. There, uh, I have, I, I'm a little surprised about the level of division that there is, uh, that there re that remains uh, in the fan base. Um, again, speaking only from my perspective, I don't mm -hmm. think I really know anyone who would feel strong, feel strongly uh, if Schembechler Hall was renamed and if the statue was taken down. Um, that said, obviously there's resistance to that from inside the Michigan program and inside the Michigan alumni base, uh, just as evidenced by the fact that it's still there. Yeah, you know, this, um, I think the report you're referencing uh, came out in, in maybe two years ago, maybe a year and a half ago. Uh, it was a report prepared by a law firm that was hired by the university. And it's, 
it's honestly, it's pretty unassailable. You know, you have these people saying, I, I, I brought these concerns to, to Bo Schembechler and nothing happened. And, and also to the athletic director at the time who was there for decades and at Michigan and is, an, is another kind of a little more behind the scenes, but a pretty integral part of building up what it is today. So I, I guess I, I'm a little surprised that it's, that statue is still there. Um, but if you look at the comments that are made by Jim Harbaugh uh, and some of the other people around the program, uh, they... <sighs> you know, not to put words in their mouth, but it just seems like they just can't believe that this guy who they idolized and, you know, I, I guess in their defense, like it seems very sincere that they just truly do not believe that, that he would have done this, uh, that he would have uh, let something like this go. Um, they just don't believe it. Um, and no one's, <laughs> and that's kind of where the situation got left. It's kind of like a weird open, you know, it's kind of just like a weird open wound actually. Mm -hmm. Like, um, in the CBS broadcast uh, of the, the Michigan UNLV game, um, the second week of the season, uh, uh, Gary Danielson kind of talked about Bo for like about five minutes, five to 10 minutes about his memories of good old Bo as if like none of this had ever happened. It didn't come up at all. And, and I think for a certain percentage of people, that's just the way they've chosen to, to remember him. Um, you know, but that's it to answer your original question. Like, yeah, I don't think I personally, as as someone who I, I try to be careful to say, like, I'm not an alumni. I obviously didn't, you know, I'm not player or coach at Michigan. So, like, I don't have as much of a stake in it as other people. But I, I don't think you need the name of this person, uh, you know, to uh, you don't need this this one. Well, this one person doesn't represent everything that Michigan is or aspires to be. Like you can aspire to have you know these values and these ideals in your program without uh, having Bo's name on the building. That's my. I mean, that's my opinion. But obviously, other people don't agree. This is something that Michigan fans have the benefit of saying. Well, it already happened. Mm -hmm. It happened so long ago. Now that ignores the fact that if you have, um, if you've endured any kind of assault it never already happened it's never it kind done. of is, it's, it's, it's not, not closed chapter no right. it's not done and especially to have been looked aside especially for like fucking team doctor i mean you saw this again in which people were like you know we see this at other institutions in which they're like players a doctor hmm mm -hmm. and it's like and you can imagine how the deification of Bo Schembechler has been incredibly harmful to those vic to those survivors, I should say. Um, but I think that for Michigan fans, there isn't a moment in which it's not all crashing down at once. Um, this is not something like with Penn State, where it all happened seemingly, it, it happened in the past, but then it happened very much in the present. Yeah. Or with Michigan State, where it's, it's happening it happened in the present and it all like it, it, I feel like it culminated so forcefully um, and every moment like every decision made by every single person was the worst possible decision. I think that with Michigan, there's a sense one, like there's a lot of excuses made like this is you know, this is a different time. This is a different era. How do we to know? Like, how are we to know how they told him? How are we to know this? But I will say, um, when Bo Schembechler died, he died like the week before the 2006 Ohio State game. I lived at South Quad, which is a dorm in Michigan, and someone, a friend of mine from a class, biked to my dorm to tell me in person. 
No one to this day has ever come to my home to tell me someone has died. That is the only time that has ever happened. Mm -hmm. There was like this candlelight vigil on campus and people were like really heartbroken. And I think it's because, and thinking back on this, I had never met him, but I had heard his voice a billion times. There was a store at the Bow store. There was a store on campus where you could buy like campus regalia, or Michigan regalia yeah. and stuff. But so much of it was about his voice saying the team, the team, the team. Yeah. Um, his words existed. I mean, I think that that gets to that deification where it's not even about him as an actual person. That's why I, I think it's interesting. That it's like Bo Schembechler, like great Michigan coach. And then you're like, Bo Schembechler, like went to a bowl game every year. Um, and so I think it has, it's because the idea of Bo has far expanded who he actually was. And what he did in that situation is the smallest thing a, par a person can possibly do to look aside from people telling you that this person has hurt them, especially people who were brave enough to say something about a, a male doctor sexually abusing them in the early 1970s. Like that's, and for them to be brave enough to say something and Bo basically being like, eh, like that's the smallest thing a person can do. And I think that that contrasts from what a large image people have of him that no one is bigger than the team and that like think it's you know at the end of the day it's going to be michigan again i can quote both things not from like doing anything on purpose but because like you would go to a store in ann arbor and they would just be playing recordings of him saying things um like very much like mao zedong thoughts like <laughs> just like listen to you know boshan beckler thoughts um the reddest red dawn of running on first <laughs> and second down. Um, and so I think that Michigan fans, because the image of Bo exists in a point where he isn't even like a real person anymore. He is just a visage and a voice that exists beyond time and space that most people who are, you know, if you are at Michigan now, you are, you know, there's a deep, you are just old enough. They were just far enough away that you could theoretically be at Michigan now and have been born after he died. Yeah. Like the, the math just works out mm -hmm, now. Mm -hmm. So like, I think that Michigan, because this didn't like culminate in the same sort of abrupt ending that what happened at, we've seen at a cup, a bunch of other institutions. And because I think the institution of the University of Michigan itself has basically utilized that of pretty much just like, we are just gonna wait at like slow roll this as far and as long as we possibly can so that people aren't gonna ask about when are we gonna take the statue down? When are we gonna rename Schembechler Hall? Like, when are we gonna do this? Because it's like, oh, you know, we have a lot of, it's, it's, it's a very Michigan thing in that it's uh, full of lawyers, just chock full of lawyers being like, uh, you know, why don't we circle back on this? And then we're going to have a report about the release of a report and a release of that report. And maybe that'll be in like 2025 or something like that. And so I think that Michigan fans haven't had to reckon with that. They haven't had to really come to terms with that. There hasn't been a moment in which it's very distinct that these people told him something and he ignored them. Because who he was has, for a lot of people, become just sort of like, an imagined person like Walt Disney, an actual member of the human race sure, sure. who did actual things. 
but now just sort of exists as like a voice okay. in ads. Right. And right. so I think that as the memory of, as, as Bo Schembechler, the person, slips away into time, Bo Schembechler, the concept remains. And people haven't really had any idea of like, this concept failed? No, the person did. The concept just sort of is something we all made up. We all kind of agreed that this concept matters or this person matters or that this like, you know, the stories of what he did or the stories of, you know, what he said in these games or something like that, or the 1969 Ohio State Michigan game or something like that. Like, and how former players talk about him, former players who all very much are like tethered to the university in some yeah. way. And so I think like, there is this this real sense that he has ceased to be a real person and become Bo Schembechler idea. What is it about like history itself that has such a grab over Michigan fans? Well, I think that like the 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 most direct answer is that like the person who's mostly you know responsible or or not mostly responsible the, the single person who's most responsible uh, for the revival of Michigan football is Jim Harbaugh and Jim Harbaugh is uh, uh, was a player uh, under Bo Schembechler. so. Um, if you want to know where the resistance, you know, where that kind of like uh, resistance to letting go of the past comes from, it, it certainly comes from the top. Not only um, Jim Harbaugh, but Ward Manuel, the athletic director, is also a, 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 was a former player under Bo Schembechler. So I think that that's kind of part of the answer. And, and you know, in, in ways that are, are much more benign, I think also the way that Michigan has had success in the last couple years um, is by playing a style of football that reminds a lot of people of what they played in the 1970s. You know, uh, six or seven offensive linemen on the field and two tight ends and like running the ball, you know. And I think that in particular made a lot of people happy that that was how they finally kind of got back to winning the Big Ten was um, was playing a, a kind of, you know, a, a quote unquote physical uh, kind of style of play. So uh, it, it's not as if like, it's not as if you can you can say like, hey, we're you know we're Michigan, we're we're looking forward. We we don't really need to hold on to the past because like that, getting back to the past was such a big part of what what Harbaugh was brought in to do. So I think that's maybe part of the answer. For one thing, the Michigan war dad stereotype is absolutely <laughs> true. <laughs> I am one of them, despite not uh -huh. being a dad. Uh, so I think just being kind of history nerds in general, I was a history major. Uh, I have a BA in history for all that was worth. Um, but uh, yeah, um, so I think it kind of plays into uh, just kind of how Michigan's fans are wired in large part. Mm -hmm. It also, I mean, Michigan did go a, a solid half century without winning a national title. While, sure. while still... Uh, having, a, you know, maybe not the most national titles in history, but they were up there and they were still, you know, you learned the word winningest, which I'm not sure <laughs> is actually a word, very early on as a, as a Michigan fan, uh -huh. uh, because it is drilled into your head that they are, are that they had the most wins of all time. And uh, depending on the year, they're also highest in winning percentage. Uh, and um, to hell with Notre Dame. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, so there there was definitely for a long period of time a benefit to kind of pointing to like 
nine national titles. Don't ask when the last one was. Like, <laughs> uh, and, and just kind of going forward with that. Um, and also, like, when you dig into Michigan's history, you know, uh, Fielding Yost was an incredibly innovative coach. Uh, so was Fritz Chrysler. I, I mean, the guy basically invented uh, having separate players play offense and defense. Um, like, the Michigan-Notre Dame rivalry is a really wild one to dig into for a lot of reasons that many of which have nothing to do with football. Right. Um, obviously, the Ohio State rivalry goes way far back. And so I, I think a lot of it just got built in because, I mean, Michigan has been so good for so long that you have kind of this um, – you know, until until I went to school, there wasn't really a bad period where someone could be like uh, everybody thought that, you know, either their time in school or the time when they were growing up as a kid was kind of the best time to be a Michigan fan. And I got to see these players play. And um, it, yeah, it wasn't until like Brady Hoke and Rich Rodriguez that you could be like, well, it, it was it sucked. <laughs> it just sucked. They were bad. Your time was better. Uh, um <laughs> And even for me now, I'm pulling the, you know, I was I I was old enough to watch the 1997 National Championship team. Yep. I had season tickets. Um, and yeah, I was I can I can remember watching that. And I now I've unfortunately hosted a podcast with uh, uh, somebody who has absolutely memory of that game because I'm not sure they were even alive. Um, to, <laughs> I'll say hello to Thick Stauskas. <laughs> at this moment. Well, one, we're all history majors. Um, every last one of us. Uh, even the people who were not actually history majors all eventually become history majors. There's like this moment, I think, when you graduate from Michigan and then you turn 30 and you suddenly are like, am I really into like the Battle of Kursk? Am I upset about this? And yeah, you are. It's, it's how this happens. Um, well, I think it's interesting to me because the history of Michigan football is so important while other schools have way more actually storied histories. Michigan's history, very storied. You start out, you have Fielding H. Yost, who um, I, I, I appreciate that um, he was very biased against Notre Dame. I don't appreciate that it was because he was super anti-Catholic, but like, you know, it was the early 20th century. A lot of people were. Yeah. And you have this, you have a, you know, this basically, this constructed, how best to put this, Fielding H. Yost in the early days of the University of Michigan football program basically created a mold and everyone after that was like, that sounds good to me. Mm -hmm. And so you have this general like mold and there's this idea that the players and the coaches that fit into that mold will be successful and the ones that don't, won't be. But like Bo Schembechler did not go to the University of Michigan, and yet he then became part of this mold that this is what is supposed to happen. This is who you're supposed to be and what you're supposed to sound like. And it's interesting also because Bo Schembechler never won a national title at the University of Michigan. Um, he won a lot of games, and I think that that is something where you built up for, you know, 40, 50 years, this idea of like Michigan always being among the very, very, very good, never among the like perfect. There was always something that happened. 
whether it's uh, the Big Ten voting to send Ohio State to the Rose Bowl instead of Michigan in 1973, which is a thing that I did not know happened. And then I became very mad about within about like, a, <laughs> you know, it took I entered my freshman year of college, did not know this, exited my senior year, furious about it, um, <laughs> which is like, that's part of the kind of um, the. Uh, what I would, they, some would call kind of the uh, education of becoming a Michigan fan. Others would call it, you know, indoctrination, rapid, indoctrination <laughs> and rapidly conforming to a specific mold, which, you know, true. Um, but I think that Michigan's history is, it's storied, but then it also is, it's storied in that it was perceived as being unchanging. One of the things that I think even the most newborn college football fan associates with the sport is Michigan's aesthetic. Like it's very classic. It's like SEO heaven for when you want to Google <laughs> best, you know, best college football helmet, this, that, or the other. And it's also an aesthetic that the university doesn't tweak that often. And I'm curious when they do, when they do something like we're wearing the maze uniforms what is the reaction like from Michigan fans? There is a lot of online discussion about like doing white pants or yellow pants. Uh -huh. And I'm just like, I, I, this is why secretly there's a part of me that's like, I wonder what it'd be like to be an Oregon fan and be like, yeah, there are a thousand uniform combinations. Our school is basically a cool Nike affiliate and uh, all of our games are played at nine o'clock in the morning. I mean, obviously not nine o'clock for them, but like, I'm like, this is, it's, it is very funny how staid Michigan fans can be. Yeah. And I think in some ways, um, a little bit similar, though, to me, less irritating, um, a little bit similar to like Notre Dame fans. Sure. Like this, you know, there's kind of, there's a way in which things are done and this is how it is going to be done. And if you do them in a weird way, if you make stripy throwback uniforms, if there's something weird, everybody's just kind of like, no, we don't do that. That's just not what's done. <laughs> That's not what a Michigan man would do. No, absolutely not. And I think that that is, but that kind of gets back to this idea of like, it's not about having won a billion national championships. It is about this perception of this unchanging lineage of tradition. Uh, tremendously split uh, again by generation. Yeah. Um, and I am at this time of the crotchety old generation. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think Michigan's uniforms are perfect mm -hmm. and, and there is no need to mess with them other than stuff like I liked when they used matte paint on the helmets. I mm -hmm. think that looked very good. Um, I'm kind of ambivalent about helmet stickers. I can do with them or without them. Um, but the basic look is is great, and when they do like, they've done monochrome maze, and the banana look is hideous. They should not do that. <laughs> um, the all the all blue look was at least a step up from that, um, and they've at least stopped doing uh, back when the, bu uh, the bumblebee. <laughs> yeah, back when everybody's uh, good friend Dave Brandon was the athletic director, they they went pretty wild with some. Uh, 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 jerseys that they said were uh, throwback inspired and and anytime you get the like th this was you know influenced by a real story then, <laughs> then you get some bad bad uniforms uh, and so I'm always shy like I will still see um, 
you know some some of those because they look way worse as replica jerseys too and I, you'll still see them in the wild and it's just like why like, <laughs> <laughs> like they were bad and those are ugly like i get that you like denard but they wore normal jerseys then right 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 maybe i don't represent like the exact center of the fan base reaction to these things because like i i have to admit like you can kind of just trick me into liking new stuff <laughs> uh, i i have this like i have this take on rutgers being in the big 10 and, and you know i I understand as much as everybody else that it's kind of absurd from a historical perspective to have a college from New Jersey, which I actually is where I now live and which is many, many hundreds of miles away from the other schools in the Big Ten. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I, I understand that it's ridiculous, but like the fact that Rutgers has been this punchline in this kind of cartoon within the Big Ten for the last 10 years or whatever, like I kind of have an affection for it now. And so I'm kind of like, you know what, like they've earned it, like they, like, which is kind of, which is to say like, you know, tradition's great. It is I that's the big part of the reason I love college football. That's a big part of the reason everyone loves it. I love to go to the stadium and like I I don't want them to like change the stadium. But like that said, like everything becomes part of a story that you have in common with other fans, I guess. If that that's a pretentious way to say it. So like Michigan came out in 2010 or whatever it was with these crazy uniforms and they lost to Michigan State and like at the time, it was, like, just offensive in every way, you know. Um, but now, like, that's just part of the story that you tell with the other fans, you know. So, like, I don't know if that makes sense. But, like, I, I actually adjust to these things, I think, faster than other people. But but certainly there's, like, a, a pretty big um, – there's, like, a definitely, like, a pretty big uh, uh, contingent of the fan base that, that finds those things offensive. Finds those things offensive. However, I will say uh, one more thing. Long answer, sorry. But – uh, one thing I love about college football is how strategic fans will be about that stuff. Mm -hmm. Like, uh, well, you know, like they don't like it, but like, hey, look, if this appeals to like the the eighteen year olds, you know, like great, like they will, they're willing to forgive like anything because they know like they have those layers in there, even within their own fandom of like, we all know what like the the number one goal here is, you know, and that's like to win the big 10 and, and to get and to like get a top 10 recruiting class. So I, th I think that's part of the story as well. I would be lying if I said Jim Harbaugh is not a fascinating human being. He Agreed. is um, extremely outspoken, has a litany of beliefs some of which i think are i personally really identify with some of which i really don't uh and he's definitely not afraid to sort of say what he thinks and stand behind it he is uh i would argue one of the most authentic coaches left in a sport that often rewards inauthenticity but he doesn't coach my football team and I, I, the two questions I have, and you can or answer them in whichever order you like. What is it Michigan fans love most about Jim Harbaugh, and what is it that they really dislike the most about him? I would. I, so I'm going to give you like the true. I think I'll give you like the true sicko fan answer, which is just okay. like the frustrating things are just like football coach things. Okay. Like like his clock man, you know, like his clock management, um, and like not throwing the ball enough in the first half. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so I think that's actually probably it. Or like, I don't know, for like maybe like a, a certain more recruiting obsessed uh, like part of the fan base, like they probably think he should be like aiming for a few more five stars, you know, like there's yes. a he's got that whole thing of like, we're going to be given a lot of shine in the press conference to like the walk on third string yep. running back kind of thing. Yep. 
and there are a lot of people who are like, oh man, you're killing us. Like you need, <laughs> <laughs> like you're killing us with these dudes. Like we're not gonna be able to compete with Alabama with these guys. So that's actually like, that's probably where I hear the most complaining about him. Um, but like, I think, you know, like you said it, like the, the, the thing that they like most about him is just that like everything good and bad about the, to the Michigan man archetype like he he's living it like and and I think so that's what kind of ties into my first answer which is that like you know the 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 Michigan man thing can get oversold but like like there are you know there are some kind of like there's some positives to take away from it and it's just that like okay like take the example of like player compensation like Jim Harbaugh is like a traditional kind of old school football guy and you wouldn't expect him to be advocating for revenue sharing but like in his mind, like you take every issue as it comes and you think about like what's fair. And so he's like, hey, I think it's fair, you know? So, and like you're saying, like he didn't think about like the kind of the political implications of that or, or how it was gonna affect his relationship with the athletic department or whatever. Cause I'm sure there's some people in the Michigan athletic department who never wanna pay the players, right, you know? Right. Um, I'm sure that those people exist. So I think that's what they like, you know, that's what they like about him is that he kind of exemplifies often, not always, but like often exemplifies like the kind of positive, uh, you know, the the, the more admirable aspects of like being a, a football coach who also kind of cares and thinks about things besides football. I guess that's mm-hmm. the kind of the, the, the fast way to say it. It's the same thing. Okay. <laughs> it, it's that he's unabashedly himself at all times. Um, Michigan fans love that he is this, uh, first of all, just tremendous football dork. Mm-hmm. Um, and, that that he coaches this smash mouth way of football is is endearing when it works at least and it's been working so it's endearing, um, and he passionately speaks out on behalf of his players, and then he passionately speaks out about certain other issues. Sure. And Michigan fans really wish that he would uh, not do that. Um, you know, and I think that's almost a regardless of their politics thing, just going, hey, like, that's that's a distraction. Mm-hmm. Um, the stuff where he's needling other coaches, I think, is generally pretty uh, liked among the fan base. I, I've certainly enjoyed, like, the Georgia that, coach stuff. Even that doesn't even, like, you say needling, and, like, to me, that's, like... What Lane Kiffin does. Lane Kiffin needles other coaches. Like he's Lane Kiffin is somebody who's trying to provoke a reaction sometimes. Jim Harbaugh randomly bombs other coaches. Sure. And and <laughs> and and what stands out to me about it is where I think other coaches, and maybe Lane is not the nicest maybe Lane's not the perfect example of this, but some other coaches are like, I'm trying to get get under somebody else's skin. Everything Jim Harbaugh says about other coaches and programs really feels like He's just like, this is what I honestly think. And like, I'm not really interested in what they have to say in response. I just have a thought that I need to put out into the world. Oh, yeah. He is he is not thinking about the next move, the consequences, right. what right. people it's are not going games to think about this. The, those moments are when there wasn't an athletic staffer around to run up to him, snatch <laughs> the phone out of his hands, and rip the SIM card out, and then throw it into the Huron River. Um, so, yeah, I, I think we'd get an even more uh, unfiltered Harbaugh if not for Michigan at least making some efforts to inoculate him from himself 
largely by just uh, not making him available to the press. <laughs> I mean, Michigan fans like about Jim Harbaugh the fact that we've beat Ohio State in two consecutive years, and now we're what um, twenty three and two over the last two years with our only losses coming in the playoff. Mm-hmm. They're not happy about the losses in the playoff. Though the yeah. Georgia one, I think everyone was like, oh, okay, right. that's fine. Right. Right. The TCU game was really weird. And uh, I have to, I, I'm largely over it because there was a moment during that game where I was like, oh, this game is possessed. Okay, okay. <laughs> I see. I see. I should have known Sean McDonough was involved. And every time Sean McDonough does a Michigan game, it's going to be like the strangest game ever. Yeah. Um, but I think that, one, people are happy that he is winning. I think that there was, um, in 2020, a lot of people who wanted Harbaugh fired um, because he was not winning, because it was not successful. But it would get really funny when people would start talking about who they wanted to replace him, because every name now sounds ridiculous. Like, there was a lot of, like, Matt Campbell from Iowa State. Um, And uh, that is an idea that seems worse now. Um, I have a great deal of respect for Iowa State. I just think that would have been a bad idea. But also that, like, we had gotten exactly what we wanted. We wanted Jim Harbaugh. I wanted Jim Harbaugh. I wrote a whole thing for Every Day Should Be Saturday about how I was going to break into Jim Harbaugh's house, lock myself in his laundry room, and demand that he tell me exactly what he was going to do. And it's not just that you got Jim Harbaugh. Yeah. It's that you got, like, undistilled Jim Harbaugh. Oh, 100%. Jim Harbaugh sleeping over at somebody's house. Jim Harbaugh taking off his shirt and being all pasty. Jim Harbaugh (laughs) drinking milk. Jim Harbaugh being like maximum level Harbaugh. But we also were like, if we get pure uncut undiluted Jim Harbaugh, we are going to get Jim Harbaugh takes Stanford to the Orange Bowl and wins. We are going to get Jim Harbaugh runs, you know, gets Andrew Luck to, you know, the heights of the NFL. Jim Harbaugh basically you know, creates a, a beef mountain of tight ends and bullies people and then yells, what's your deal at mm-hmm. Pete Carroll? Like, mm-hmm. that's what people wanted. Jim Harbaugh and Michigan are trapped in this sort of, like, will-he-won't-he situation where every year it's like, oh, he's interviewing for this NFL job. There's rumors that he's going to take this one, whatever. And so far it obviously hasn't come to fruition. How do Michigan fans feel about sort of being trapped in that relationship <laughs> where... I don't think anybody's worried Jim Harbaugh is going to leave and take another college job. But at the same time, I don't think anybody thinks, oh, he'll definitely be here for the next 15 years. I have like a, yeah, I I think my perspective on that is I think that that a lot of Michigan fans tend to react to anything that like makes, might make Jim, that is adverse to Jim Harbaugh, like this current NCAA uh, investigation and like mm-hmm. the suspension that was seems it was like kind of imposed on him by others at Michigan, maybe not his like idea to, to like sit out the first three games. I, so I think a lot of people react that by saying like we're just pushing him away, you know, like he's not doesn't want to deal with this stuff. I actually think, based on like talking to people who know him and like and just watching him perform and behave, I actually don't think that's true. I think that like like. I think that he he likes a cha- like he likes a challenge like he's a he as as everyone knows he's kind of an unusual person like I don't I think he knew that come playing a you know coaching at Michigan is a challenge for for a lot of reasons academic expectations and so forth and I I, I always go back to after the COVID season uh, when they went two and four and like 
everybody wanted, including myself. I thought he was done. A lot of players were just like, former players just openly saying, like, this isn't working. Yeah. Like, he could have quit, but he didn't want to. So I think, like, when people say, like, oh, he's going to, like, go to the NFL because he got, like, he's dealing with the NCAA. Like, no, he's, like, seeing a lot worse than that at Michigan, and, and he's still there. That said, like, I think that when you when he says, like, I think it'd be cool to win the Super Bowl, like, he's telling the truth. And so I think he could take off at, at, at any time. My position, so my position is, like, he kind of has earned it. Like, he he took a team that was five and seven, and, and they won two big championships in a row, and, like, they're going to compete for one this year. I don't know if they're going to win it, but, like, I think he's earned it. So that's my, my I, I'll be sad to see him go. Um, I'll, I'll root for him at his, you know, wherever he ends up next. Um, and I just like him having him in our, I like having him in American society because he's such an, <laughs> he's such a unique figure. Um, so I'm, I'm happy to have him around, but, but I think he's kind of earned the right to go to, go to, to go do something else if, if he wants. I think that the NFL flirtations, mm-hmm. somehow I feel like after the last couple of years, that's not as annoying as it used to be. It just has gotten to be just kind of like a, sure, whatever you want to do, you know, you want to have a gap, you want to take a gap year whatever that's fine like okay oh you want to you want to like hitchhike across the country well it's 1967 so i'm sure that'll be fine like i think that seems less annoying i think that what people don't like about jim harbaugh is that he cannot make us all feel he can't make us all feel confident before games he can do you can have the greatest coaching staff in the history of coaching staffs you can have Right now, Michigan's playing really well, um, has a, a well-set-up schedule. You know, you've got everything that works, but he cannot 100% guarantee that it won't pour on Saturday and for some reason everyone fumbles four times and somebody gets hurt. Like he, can't, he cannot guarantee that that won't happen. No one can. But I think that you get a real sense every single time that there's like, oh, you know, we didn't convert in third and three. There's like this moment you're like, oh, no. This and then you'll check the score and be like, oh, we're up 28 to nothing. <laughs> but you're still doing the math of like, well, theoretically, like if they scored and then onside kick and then scored and then onside kick. And like you start doing that and it's a real, it's a question of, is this about Jim Harbaugh or is it actually about like how I feel about this sport, how I feel about how my feelings have changed? This does feel like... You know, the engagement ring has been on the finger for a long, <laughs> long time now. Um, but I, I, I would say, like, the first couple times that it got really serious, it felt like it'd be a catastrophe. Mm-hmm. Uh, not only because they'd lose Jim Harbaugh, but because the timing was way after, like, the normal cycle of getting coaches. It was just going to put Michigan in a really bad spot. Yeah. Um, I think at this point they're mostly tired of it because it's a recruiting thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, also that Harbaugh just, you know, one day he'll say like, like, this is the place that I would be happy to coach until I die. And then, you know, he's taking an interview with the Vikings. <laughs> the next week. Uh, and you know, that's uh, it, for someone who is such a straight shooter. And I don't necessarily think he's, lying in those instances as much as he's just saying what he feels in the moment yeah and he's a person who doesn't necessarily always know what he wants yeah um and so it's not fun to ride that that roller coaster (laughs) uh, 
even if you know it's coming um, year after year, I think at this point Michigan both has enough um, people that have come through recently that they would be happy to see as the head coach, um, which was not the case after Lloyd Carr and into the Rodriguez and Hoke stuff. There was no coaching tree at that point. Yeah. It was it yeah. was barren. Um, I mean, Brady Hoke was on it. That that should, that should say it all. <laughs> uh, um, uh, and they went there. Um, so I think now there's a little bit more comfort. Uh, I mean, I think Michigan fans would even be okay seeing Mike Hart as the head coach. Uh, and I think a lot of that would be sentiment, but I think there's also reasons to think it would possibly work out. Um, obviously, they'd prefer to have Jim Harbaugh stay. I would prefer to have Jim Harbaugh stay, despite my extremely complicated feelings about him. Mm-hmm. Uh, because uh, I think I'd have extremely complicated feelings about pretty much anyone who's a football coach. Um, and uh, um, so I'd prefer he stays. If he moves on, I think at this point it's like possibly best for everybody mm-hmm. just to, from an, a, like an emotionally just draining experience standpoint. Uh, so I'm kind of just, my fandom is just kind of floating right now. Like I, I'm very like, I'm watching the games. I am I am engaged for as long as Michigan is engaged on the field, um, which is you know three three and a half quarters at this point in the season. Um, and then I'm really trying to shut the rest of it out the rest of the week because otherwise I get very angry. <laughs> when I look at the Michigan man as a cultural compass of sorts. I feel a little lost. The closest thing I have to a football patriarch is a wisecracking Tennessean who doesn't feel sorry about running up the score on a hated rival. But I'm also a little jealous of Michigan. I think there are times where it probably feels stabilizing to have this idea of who you're supposed to be that's rooted in something that existed decades before you were even born. Now, I think the challenge Michigan fans have faced in a variety of ways over the last 15 years is that stability and change pull in opposite directions. Tradition is about sameness and faithfulness to the past, and change is about adaptation and recognizing that some parts of the past don't serve you any longer. And it's not a clear binary either. To give Wolverine fans what they want from the program, Michigan has to change, and it has to stay the same. Thank you very much to Ace, Ben, and Jane for joining me on today's episode, and to my producer, Michael Serber, for his wizardry in putting together our conversations into one discussion that you just heard. Special thanks again to Homefield Apparel for sponsoring We're Not All Like This. Next week, hotty toddy, gosh almighty, who the hell is Ole Miss?